Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. everybody good afternoon and this is Kim with black free thinkers and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you and I'll repeat that one more time we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you well good afternoon everybody this has been a very interesting week um, and I'm glad that you're joining us today. For those of you that are joining us live, those in a chat room, those who are listening through other media players and archives later on, I, again, thank you all for all of your support. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate the emails, the inboxes, um, the text messages in some cases. And, you know, it's been really fun. You know, this has been a really, really good year. And, you know, thank you for your patience. You know, we're trying to get some things situated. And so, you know, again, we appreciate each and every last one of you guys out there. So some announcements, some announcements, what's going on. Uh, Black Skeptics Group, um, we're in our fundraising drive right now for the scholarship program. For those of you that are familiar with us, um, remember we gave away five scholarships at the end of last school year, and we sent these young individuals off to college with, you know, some 
funding, some resources, and we're starting up the new fundraising um, drive. So, again, we're a 501c3 organization. All of your donations are tax deductible, and you can PayPal that to blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, blackskeptics at gmail.com. And any amount that you're able to contribute, we appreciate it. And we want to make sure we help some more young people this year and send them off to college with some resources in their pockets, that, you know, and also, you know, mentorship program. And, you know, we want to make sure that we encourage them and, you know, support them as they start this journey. So, again, we appreciate, you know, any contribution that you may be able to give. Um, you can contact Dr. Hutchinson and, you know, um, maybe – talk about collaboration or what have you, and she'll be happy to hear from you. So, again, thank you all for, you know, the contributions that have been coming around, coming in year-round, but we're starting the official, you know, season, whereas we're going to start actively pursuing um, donors. So just letting you guys know that is where we are. We have, um, you know, um, fundraisers, um, fundraising packets and all of that, and some of that has gone out in the mail. So, again, just contact Dr. Hutchison, and, um, you know, um, we'll go from there. So, yeah, excellent, excellent. You know, we have a lot of new listeners, a lot of new people following the show, and, you know, again, this is about inclusivity, and we welcome you. So, let's see, what else is going on? Ah, the AAH conference. The Eastern Regional Conference for African Americans for Humanism. That is on February the 1st. It will be held in Washington, D.C. And if you go to the Center for Inquiry website or even weareah.org, you'll be able to find some information about that. And, you know, it's going to be a good time. This is like the second conference that they're holding. The first one they held was in 2010, and, you know, from my understanding, they had a really good time. I didn't make it to that one, but I will be at this one. So, again, you can contact Debbie Goddard. Um, she's the director over the AAH program, and, again, if you go to weareaah.org, you'll be able to find quite a bit of the information there, and we are hoping to see you guys there. Also, on December 15th, Sunday, December 15th, next Sunday, as a matter of fact, we will be having our second live webcast. You will be able to find that information or be able to view us on live on YouTube. And so we're encouraging everybody to, you know, view the webcast, to give us some input. You will be able to use the hashtag POC Beyond Chat, and you can also um, speak with us on the YouTube page, give questions, inquiries. But Donald Wright, the author of um, a wonderful book, if you all haven't um, read it yet, go out and get it, but the only prayer I'll ever pray is let my people go. Again, the only prayer I'll ever pray is let my people go. Donald Wright, he wrote that. It's a really good book. And he'll be moderating this um, conversation. I know we'll have um, Dr. Don Barbera on with us. We'll have um, one of our hosts here on Black Free Thinkers, Emmeline, will be there with us. 
Um, Raina Rhodes, another host on Black Free Thinkers, will be there. I will be there. Um, Frank Anderson, who's the president of Black Skeptics Chicago, he'll be there. Dr. Datlin Mai, he'll also be there. So it promises to be a really, really good conversation, and we'll be talking about exposing your non-belief and why the decision can be paralyzing. Again, exposing your non-belief and why the decision can be paralyzing. And, again, it's going to be a really, really good conversation. So we would like you guys to participate and let us know. As a matter of fact, this Thursday coming up, we'll be starting our Twitter chats again. And we'll be talking about the show that's coming up Sunday, so Thursday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 o'clock. Central Standard Time, 5 o'clock Pacific, we'll be engaging in our Twitter chat, and that's POC, well, hashtag POC, Beyond Chat, and that will be interacting with our People of Color Beyond Faith Twitter account. So just to kind of let you guys know, and as far as YouTube is concerned, we have our own YouTube channel, POC Beyond Faith. Again, that's POC Beyond Faith on YouTube. We're asking that you subscribe to our channel, you know, so that way you can keep in touch and you'll be able to know whenever we're going to have a live event. You know, keep yourself informed of what's happening around these parts. So, we have that April 25th and 26th. People of Color Beyond Faith will be sending a few representatives to Morgan State University for their Philosophical Atheism and Communities of Faith Conference. So Friday night, we will have a panel that will be Dr. Hutchinson, Raina Rhodes, and myself. On Saturday, Dr. Hutchinson will be giving a presentation, and we'd like for you all to, you know, meet us there in Baltimore, Maryland, and we're looking forward to this. This should be a wonderful conversation, and it should just be a dialogue, whereas, you know, we're not debating, we're just dialoguing and coming to some sort of consensus, some sort of understanding, which kind of ties into into today's subject matter, black churches equal black problems, and we'll get into that a little bit later. We had part one last week, which was phenomenal, and so today we'll have part two, and the guest call in number is 310-982-4273. But before we go on with that, also I wanted to make sure that you all know that the People of Color Beyond Faith will be having is conference next year. October 11th and 12th of 2014, again, October 11th and 12th of 2014 in Los Angeles, California. It will be a physical conference, and we are looking forward to seeing you and meeting you there. And But before the physical conference, we're going to have a virtual conference online, the Valentine's Day weekend. So February 14th through 16th, we will have webcasts that entire weekend. We'll have one or two webcasts that Friday evening, several on Saturday and several on Sunday. So we are doing this for you. We want to give back to the community. And, you know, again, for you know, there are different people out there, and many can't make it to these conferences for one reason or another, but we wanted to give something back to you. We wanted to, you know, thank you for your support, for your motivation, you know, just for being a part of the community. We wanted you guys to see how these conferences are being conducted, the subject matter, and to let you guys know how much you matter to us, how much we care about you, 
And so we're giving you a free virtual conference online Valentine's Day weekend of 2014. So we welcome your support. We welcome your input. Um, the email address is peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. We're lining up a lot of talent and we are just looking forward to this because, again, you all have supported us throughout the years, and then also there are some new people and people who have been in the community for a while, and in some cases we've been marginalized and ignored. So we've taken this, you know, opportunity to be able to put together some information and to present it to you so that you can enjoy it live or at your leisure. But this is for you. This is something that we've been wanting to do, something that we've been wanting to give back to the community. So, you know, we care about you, and we hope to see you guys um, at physical conference as well as the virtual conferences. And I believe that is all for today as far as the announcements are concerned. So thank you for your patience there. Um, go back and look in the archives of Black Free Thinkers. You'll be able to catch the show from yesterday with MC Brooks. He talked about the gentrification of black music. It was a really good show. You know, he had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the week, so that's why we pushed it to Saturday. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, he had a really good show. I caught part of it yesterday. And on blast with Vita Starr, and she was talking about black Hollywood. You know, do we hold it to a higher standard or, you know, so, I mean, go back and catch these archives. You know, we had several wonderful shows last week, and I want to make sure you guys get the opportunity to enjoy it. So go on out there and, you know, catch the archives. Emily and, Emma and um, Evil Show, they had some technical difficulties, so they canceled that, and they're going to bring you that interview with Ayanna Watson in a couple of weeks. So there you go, guys. I want to make sure I let you guys know what happened with that as well. So oh, it's been a very eventful week. There are a couple of things that I wanted to address before we started out in our topics for today. And um, basically... There was one story that I posted earlier this week that I found very disturbing. And, you know, normally when I post my stories, usually I'll, you know, cut and paste an excerpt from the story and add it in there, or I'll put nothing because I want you to go and read it for yourself. But, you know, I was really concerned when I saw the article about Israel offering the Ethiopians $3,500 each to return back to Africa. And, you know, I found that very disturbing on a number of levels. Besides, you know, what's happening between, uh, you know, that country and the Palestinians. And, you know, our taxes pay money. Our taxes are being used to fund, you know, this country, you know. And I just can't believe that our taxpayer money is being used to fund apartheid and repatriation. Seriously? $3,500 to go back to Africa? 
And, yeah, and, and that's the whole thing. When, you know, the Jews have a long history, a very long history, and I'm not going to go into all of that, but what I will say is when they were being, you know, when genocide was taking place during World War II, you know, initially other countries were staying out of it because they felt as though it was not their business. And some countries, you know, at that point in time had an isolationist type of policy regarding, you know, other countries and their civil issues. And basically the Jews, basically, they really didn't have anywhere to go or to run. And some of the people that have gone to Israel, you know, and again, they do testing on these people to see if they're Jewish. And if you go and you look some of this up, you know, they test and they look at the mitochondrial DNA, and that's how they're able to basically establish um, that lineage there. So do some reading on that. I'm not a, you know, a biologist, and so I'm not going to get into all of that, but I've done quite a bit of reading on this. And, again, um, it's just interesting. They're trying to pay the money to go back, while at the same time, even before then, they were being mistreated. Um, You know, a lot of these women were being, you know, basically forced on birth control, um, that's come out, um, you know, they were being basically corralled into certain parts of town. They were having a hard time, you know, um, getting jobs. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of different issues, and now you're trying to send them back. And I don't know, this is something that we need to look into and we need to raise our voices about because, you know, they seem to have really short memories about what happened with them and over the years, and it's just it's not right. So anyway, I brought that up, and I'm not going to go very much more into it, except that I'm just not pleased about that situation at all, at all. So there you go. Um, one of our colleagues in the Free Thought community wrote a nice blog, The Danger of Being an Atheist of Color. And you can find this on loudishness, L-O-U-D-I-S-H-N-E-S-S dot com. And it's actually a very, very good article. It ties into the conversation for next week, next Sunday. And so basically, you know, I want you guys to go and take a look at Noah's um, blog. This this was a really good one, and I am, you know, really impressed with this. But, you know, again, when we say people of color, we're talking about, you know, um, people of African descent. We're talking about people of Latino descent, Asian, indigenous. So um, basically um, what I'm going to do is put this particular link on my wall, and I'm also going to put it in a chat room for the article in particular that I'm talking about because I enjoyed it. And I posted another article um, about how, you know, paralyzing or how, 
you know, leaving your faith, how it can have, you know, a dire effect on you. And I want you to go to my wall and take a look, Um, you know, and because, you know, a lot of people don't seem to understand that when you do leave your faith, in many cases, especially if you came from that type of history and that type of family, that it does, it can have a devastating effect, you know, I've heard many, many different stories um, in the community. Anyway, I before we go on, I wanted to acknowledge the passing of Nelson Mandela. And today is a day of prayer and reflection in South Africa. So we'll reflect a little bit on Nelson Mandela and what he meant to us. But before we go on to that, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Steve Biko. And, you know, we want you guys to go out and take a look around and, you know, but Steve Biko was another activist in South Africa. And he basically was tortured and killed in 1977 because of his activism. And, you know, we just want you all to acknowledge him, read up a little bit about it so that you can understand, um, you know, what happened there. Even Nelson Mandela said that, you know, Stephen Biko's death reached him, you know, through the prison walls. And, you know, on the 20th anniversary of Biko's death, Mandela, Nelson Mandela, acknowledged him. And, you know, we've been posting articles all week about Nelson Mandela, but, you know, Steve Biko, you know, I definitely am going to post that on my wall now. But, you know, I, you, I want you guys to understand that, you know, this struggle has been going on. Um, you know, it's apartheid. It's somewhat, it is the equivalent of what we went through here in the United States with, you know, the Jim Crow laws and the black codes and all of those particular issues. But, you know, go out, do some research. You know, you can honor Nelson Mandela and Steve Biko in that respect. Um, You know, with Nelson Mandela, his passing was very, oh, you know, it it affected me. It definitely affected me. Um, I grew up, I was born after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So I was not around to witness um, that part of the civil rights movement. So Nelson Mandela, you know, he meant a lot to me because this was, you know, the first, you know, civil rights leader I had ever really seen. You know, unfortunately, in this country, when we get leaders that stand up and basically, you know, protest the injustices of this country and, you know, the policies, and, you know, we've talked about all of this, and they're assassinated. They're killed in some kind of way, whether it's physically or whether it's their character. And so, you know, to be able to see Nelson Mandela when he came to this country, he came to Chicago as well. And it was just, you know, it was awesome 
You know, I was awestruck because, you know, to see someone who had fought for that, and what a lot of people don't seem to understand is that people in other countries, they look up to black Americans. Nelson Mandela was inspired by the civil rights, you know, activism in the United States. You know, the South Africans, the Africans over there, you know, they look up to us. They look up to us to fight for our freedom. It motivated them to fight even harder to end apartheid. And they're still fighting over there because, you know, same thing in this country is happening over there that, you know, people of color are still marginalized. You know, the unemployment rates are still high in in our communities. Um, you know, we still have issues with crime. Um, and, you know, even with the HIV and AIDS, you know, over there they had to fight, you know, to get the drugs released and to acknowledge the problem. And, you know, the rates, the infection rates have gone down, you know, somewhat, and the medicines have become available, you know, free of charge. I posted a story about this one woman who lost all of her children to HIV and AIDS, and her husband eventually died from it, and she was infected. She's HIV positive, but she's getting, you know, the medications needed, and so now she's an activist. And, you know, I want you guys to go back and to look all of this up. And, you know, Raina posted an article, and Frederick um, wrote Frederick Sparks of the Black Skeptics Group. He wrote an article about, you know, the whitewashing and the sanitizing of Nelson Mandela. And, you know, Nelson Mandela, you know, he was a warrior. So, you know, I mean, I know he was working towards reconciliation with the whites in, you know, South Africa. And, you know, one of the reasons I see Raina's on with us here, um, one of the reasons why, you know, the whites in South Africa were comfortable giving power over to him was because they knew that he would not basically turn around and treat them the way that the blacks had been treated. Unfortunately, he didn't go far enough when pressing for um, economic um, economic um, you know, reconciliation with the blacks in that country, and that's why some of them, you know, quite a few of them are still living in poverty and fighting for certain rights. So, you know, from some of the articles that I've read, you know, some of the whites in South Africa are now afraid of what may happen now that Nelson Mandela has passed away. So just want to make sure we keep our eye on that, well, not just you know, that. I was going to say not just the economic side of the thing, of things, but I mean some of us remember. I believe it was last year, um, the incident with the miners in South Africa right. who were gunned down after um, protesting. Well, really, um, you know, refusing to work. Exactly. And exactly. And, and demonstrating and, 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 at the mine. Those are not isolated incidents. Those are not yeah. isolated incidents. And when this type of thing happens, you'll see us posting it on our wall. We're posting it there for a reason. We want you all, and, you know, this is just my desire. This is not a mandate or anything. But I want you all to get familiar with issues that are happening happening in other countries. You know, I've posted some um, articles about what's happening over in France, um, what's happening over in the Netherlands, and, you know, other different countries. And, 
there is a reason because, you know, there are people of color that are protesting all over the world. And that's one of the beautiful things about the advent of the Internet. You know, we have friends, you know, Facebook friends, Twitter friends, what have you, all over the world. And so you're able to interact with these people. So, you know, we're just telling you guys, you know, kind of read up on it, get familiar. You know, I want you guys to know that you're not alone. We're not alone with our, you know, protestations of, you know, injustice and, and, you know, inequality and all of that. And it's important that you understand and know what's happening over in other countries because as far as I'm concerned, we are our brother's keeper. And it's important for us to understand what's happening over there because it does have an impact over here. We have to start thinking on a global scale. We have because, you know, our incomes are based on a global scale. You know, our politics are based on a global scale. What happens over there does have an effect over here, whether directly or indirectly. So, yeah, you know, it's just it's really interesting, but I want to make sure we honor um, Nelson Mandela and honor his memory and acknowledge the work that he did because, um, you know, Steve Biko, you know, he led the black consciousness movement. And, you know, Mandela was part of the African um, National Congress. And, you know, basically it wasn't until 2008 in President Bush um, basically Nelson Mandela off of the terrorist watch list. And there are still many members of the ANC that are still on the terrorist watch list. And, you know, we want you guys to go back and understand the history, you know, because, you know, while we're paying reverence, we're paying honor to these individuals, I believe that you really need go back and understand their history, understand why Nelson Mandela was put in Robben Island and how long he was there. And, you know, just, you know, it's, it's, it's important that you guys understand what has been going on, especially with the people that you're paying reverence to. You need to understand what you're paying reverence to. And it wasn't always peaches and cream over there, and it's still not to this day. Were you about to say something right No, I said, no, I'm disagreeing with you. No, it isn't. Peaches and cream never has been, and it may never be, you know. Um, It's it's really interesting that um, on Democracy Now!, they actually had a really good conversation about um, the state of things in South Africa. And um, there are a lot of similarities between what's going on in South South Africa and um, what's going on here in America with the rolling back of a lot of the gains that were made during our civil rights movement and um, their fight against apartheid. And um, there's a lot of similarities there. And um, it's happening for a lot of the same reasons. Um, and I've also noticed, um, you know, online you can find a lot of these um, just like here in the United States, just like there's a lot of fear-mongering um, by these um, white nationalist groups and um, groups that pose that are you know poses a you know political groups that are are really nothing but um, the KKK in disguise. Um, I'm talking about the Tea Party. Um, you know <laughs> these groups. I mean, that's what I just wanted to be clear on what I was just talking about. Um, <laughs> but you know these. 
groups are they have a lot of very similar language. They're making a lot of the very very similar claims. There are groups in in South Africa that are claiming that there are you know um, white people being killed all over the place, and that there are black people trying to um, commit genocide against you know white you know white South Africans, and that's not the case. Um, just like there are people here who are claiming that you know. Um, that white people are being genetically annihilated because there are just so many immigrants and, you know, that Obama has something to do with it or, you know, there's just so many conspiracy theories. So you just have to, you know, do some research to appreciate some of, you know, the roots of what's going on in both of our nations. You know, it's, it's, it's white supremacy that's at the heart of it all, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and, you know, one day we're going to do a show that's a little bit more in-depth on, you know, white supremacy, and, you know, we've talked about white supremacy, we've talked about white privilege, entitlement, and all of that, but what we haven't talked about is how we are invested in it, and how that investment Anyway, we'll get it more in depth about about that, you know, later on down the line. <laughs> oh, that's and, uh, a dangerous <laughs> conversation, Kim. You know, um, uh, it's going to be really interesting. We have to bore on a lot of this as well, just to let you know. Yeah, Hi, Bora. How are you? Good, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, yes ma'am. Oh, okay. I'm getting an echo. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 enjoying this conversation, honey. White people are so sweet, though. You know, I mean, what can I say? They're so sweet. <laughs> oh, here we go. Alrighty, you coming? Yeah. Talk. So we're gonna yeah, we're gonna move on because I don't know where that's going. But I mean, I just think it's, okay. I just want to say one thing, Kim, before we move on, and I just want people to understand so that we're clear. Black freethinkers, when we have these conversations about white white supremacy, we are not preaching white hate. You know, we don't no. hate white people. We don't no. we don't want. You know, we don't want bad things to happen to white people. We don't want any of that. We just don't want to live in a society where we are not unfairly punished for what we were born. You know what I mean? We want to have the same privileges and the same freedoms as anyone else, you know? And um, and we just want to be able to be ourselves, our whole selves, without having to, you know, having to assimilate, you know, into a standard you know, that was never meant for us. Right, exactly. You know? And it, for, for the most part, when we talk about racism and white privilege, we're talking about the institutionalized policies and the laws. You know, um, we're not necessarily talking about individuals because, I've, you know, there are some individuals out there that are just, I mean, there is no denying that they're racist. But for the most part, when we talk about it, we're talking about some of the public policies. We're talking about, you know, especially when we talk about the white privilege. You know, a lot of white people do not understand what we mean by that. And basically, there are times in which you enjoy some privileges just because of the fact that your skin color is white. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some things that are given. 
Absolutely, and and it's not. And I was going to say, you know, yeah, we we do talk a lot about laws and and things like that, but I don't want anyone to think that it is simply it is simply limited to laws, just like it is not limited to per, interpersonal, you know, everyday interactions. It, there is a culture, and there is a psychology, and there is, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, the same way that, you know, a lot of us think about religion and how religion is tied into a lot of things that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, it is, it is a presumption that whiteness is, is the standard in, in, in just about every facet of our culture and of our society, in our government, in our economics. So you have to um, start to think of it on that level. It's not... Um, it's not, and we're not blaming necessarily. It's not a blame game. It's not like one white person or one group, uh, you know, small group of white people is responsible for all of this, these problems. But by not acknowledging that you have white privilege and not acknowledging the fact that you have unearned privileges and, and, and um, advantages in this society, you do contribute further to those things. And what we want to do is we want to educate you and want to educate other people to recognize these things so that hopefully we can dismantle some of it, or all of it really is what we want to, but I don't have any illusions about being able to dismantle white supremacy in my lifetime. So, Yeah, and it's not just in the United States. Again, you know, we were contrasting that with South Africa. And in 1965, Martin Luther King delivered a speech in New York, and he denounced the white rulers of South Africa. He called them spectacular savages and brutes and called on the U.S. and Europe boycott them. So this has been going on for a while. I remember, you know, when this is when I was first going out to college, so this was the late 80s, when, you know, um, students were, you know, out there protesting and yes, demanding the I was hoping you were going to mention that. I was hoping you were going to mention that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's – but, yeah, you know, the students were protesting and demanding divestment of South Africa. And, you know, we were basically protesting and demanding that our universities, our state and local governments, you know, the federal government – pull out any funding of any investments in South Africa. I remember when the celebrities, it namely Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder be on it. Now, for this man not to be able to see, he sees a lot better than the majority of us. Okay. And I remember when they were, you know, saying that they weren't going to play Sun City. For those of you that aren't familiar with that, look up Sun City and Apartheid. It was even a big old song. I would sing it to you, but it's too early. But you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we want you guys to go out and look that up, you know, because this has been going on for a while. Um, so, you know, one of the statements, you know, that um, was made in this particular situation, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, the consequences and, you know, issues of popularity, Whites were the very minority in South Africa. Blacks were the majority, but it was white rule. Whereas in America, whites are the majority and blacks are the minorities. And it's white rule, you know, but that's, you know, the browning of America is starting to change the landscape. And so 
You know, there are a lot of issues that we need to address, but we want you guys to go out, do some research, understand, and also, you know, look at the role that Gandhi played in all of this. You know, Bayard Rustin, I put a link on my wall a couple of days ago about the Bayard Rustin papers. Bayard Rustin, you know, basically took principles from Gandhi and they applied it to the civil rights movement in this country, nonviolence. And Nelson Mandela adopted some of the same principles, you know, with nonviolence over in South Africa. There were times when they utilized violence, but for the most part it was nonviolent. And I want you guys Mm -hmm. to see just, you know, a comparative analysis. There are a lot of similarities in what has happened and how we influenced each other. They were influenced by us, and we were influenced by them. So, you know, if you want to honor, you know, Nelson Mandela and honor his memory and reflect, we just, we invite you to go out and do some research. And, you know, also let's not forget Steve Biko. Like I said, it's important that we acknowledge, you know, these people who have laid down their lives. So Yeah, and I know. mean, and here's another thing just to keep in mind, like, um, you know, I, you know, I posted that that article on, you know, the sanitization of Nelson Mandela and, um, you know, and, you know, you can really put in pretty much any civil rights leader of history in in that statement. But, um, you know, just the, just like the white media, or the, not the, I say the white media, but you know what I mean. This white media in this country is generally owned primarily by whites. So let's just put it out there. They there and most media in this country is um you know, they have a particular narrative that they want to, you know, to put out. And so they're they're very apt to call things like Mandela's um you know, involvement in you know, with violence in it with the ANC, you know, as a dark period of time. But I just I just this is just me. You know, while I'm not an advocate of violence I think that sometimes when people of color um, are fighting oppressive rules, that when we use violence um, because of the way in which we're portrayed and the way that are, we're viewed politically, socially, etc., it tends to take on another dimension. It's not simply that we used violence, but now all of a sudden we're barbaric. You know what I mean? We're ruthless. You know what I mean? And that somehow right. it's a different kind of violence than the violence that was employed by, um, you know, the, by those who fought in the American Revolution or the French Revolution, when it really, in, in essence, is, is not different at all, except that in those situations you had a class battle and we have a racial class, uh, a race and class battle happening in the struggles of people of color. So I just invite you to be, you know, to to critique, you know, what you come in contact with when you hear people talking about that period of time in Mandela's life or when you hear people talk about Malcolm X or when you hear people talk about the Black Panthers. You know, were the Black Panthers just going out into neighborhoods and shooting white people? No, they weren't. They were trying to protect their community. They were using, you know, they were using guns to do so, which was their, which was within their rights. And there's just something about the way that people view black people, that when they have access to weapons and when they um, are able to employ violence, that somehow it is a scarier thing. And my 
thing is, is critique that when you come into contact with that. You know what I mean? You know, right. Why is it that we are expected to always use nonviolence to, put, you know, to free ourselves, especially when the group or the group of the organization, the government that we're going against, is not shy about using violence towards us? Mm-hmm. You know. Right, and I mean, take all of that into consideration, and, you know, again, if you listen to the series, you know, Privilege Mutiny, especially the first part of that series, I talk about how there were, you know, white lynch mobs or white mobs that went into affluent, you know, black communities and tore it down and ran them out. You know, the only coup d'etat happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. That is the only time that a government was basically, you know, overcome and kicked out in the United States. And it was because it was predominantly people of color running that government. And found something else out this week. Um, You know, um, somebody presented me a video. They posted it on my wall about the Count of Monte Cristo, Alexander Dumas. And basically, this is something that I did not know, and I'm trying to find some information. If you all have it, give it to me. But apparently... There was a civil rights movement in France in the mm-hmm. late 1700s, early 1800s. I am scouring. I am not able to find a lot of information, so I need some help. And so, yeah, there was a civil rights movement in, in France. And so with Alexander Dumas and, you know, basically, you know, he had enjoyed certain liberties and freedoms And then when Napoleon came into power, Napoleon took a lot of those freedoms away and many people were put in jail. It's just it's a really interesting history. But, you know, I'm trying to find more information out about that. And then, you know, we can talk about how, you know, basically Haiti defeated Napoleon, you know. And it's it's just it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how a lot of this history has been buried and suppressed. So anyway, so we're going to get into our topic today. You know, we definitely oh, I want just to wanted that. to share. Can I share one more thing? Can I share one more thing? I'm sorry. Can I sure. share one more thing? Sure. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, it's a quote that I found by Mandela that I absolutely love, and I wanted to share it with you guys. It's one. It's it's one of the quotes that you're not apt to hear on any of these little documentaries and things that are going to be coming out about them. So just so you know, um, it's overcoming poverty over. Oh, sorry. It says overcoming poverty is not a task of charity. It is an act of justice. Like slavery and apartheid, poverty is not natural. It is man-made and be, can be overcome and eradicated by the actions of human beings. Sometimes it falls on a generation to be great. You can be that great generation. Let your greatness blossom. Fantastic. I love that quote. You know, I've seen that before, but that is one of the quotes that you do not see very often. And, you know, um, Nelson Mandela was very vocal about when we went over to Iraq, and he stated that the only reason why we are there was for the Iraqi oil. You know, um, Nelson Mandela was very critical of the United States of America, and, you know, he had friends, and they tried to label him a communist because he was friends with Gaddafi, you know, Fidel Castro, and a number of other characters. And the thing is, is that, you know, who are we to tell someone else who they should and should not be friends with? 
Right. But that's a, a totally different story. But, yeah, you know, guys, you know, that was a wonderful quote, Raina. Thank you so much for sharing that with yeah. us. No problem. Sorry, yeah, now excellent. we can go on with the show. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That was a great quote to end with. You know, and, you know, um, when it comes to poverty, it is man-made. So we made it and we can fix it. That is the honest right. to goodness truth. And so, you know, again, you know, it's just really interesting. So for those that are interested in joining the conversation, our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. Press 1 if you would like to speak with us. You can also Skype into the show and just press the big blue S, you know, next to the telephone number on the home page there. So last week... We hit on a number of different, you know, um, subjects regarding the black church. I'm just going to throw a few more questions out there today. Is the black church the root of all the social ills in the black community? Has the black church served a positive purpose in the black community? What has the secular community contributed to the black community? Can the secular community and the black church work together in some cases to help the black community? And is there an intersection in which the black church and the secular community can come together? You know, in addition to other questions that we have um, regarding, you know, the church, I mean, uh, basically, can interface dialogue along with social justice activism help to implement solutions? You know, and, you know, are there pathologies in the black community? If so, what caused it? If not, how do we correct this misconception? And how do we grow from here? But before we go into that, because it kind of ties in with what we just finished talking about, um, basically, you know, when Raina was talking about how blacks, people of color, because, you know, they're doing that to the Latinos as well, how people of color are perceived. And basically, we're perceived as being violent, uh, unreasonable, you know, a number of different, you know, adjectives out there. But where do we learn that from? Who are we emulating? And that's why I brought up the issue of white lynch mobs. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like even when they were beating the slaves, they, they were still an uprising. Why? Because they still wanted to be free. So when you have people of color in all of these different countries and you're seeing more and more uprisings, like I said, over in France, they are gearing up for a hell of a civil rights movement over there. The Africans in that country are being mistreated, and they're tired of it. And, I mean, the same yeah, thing is... Yeah, pardon. Throughout Europe, throughout Europe, period. Yeah, throughout Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout Europe, period. But you know, I'm just bringing up France in particular because I've put up, you know, quite a few. And they, oh yes, yeah, um, Italy and France. They're they're calling some the of the black female dignitaries monkeys. I mean, it's just outright racism. Um, <clears throat> and then of course the the um, protests against um, Zwarty Pete, Piet or whatever his yeah. name is. You yeah. know, the black. That's Peter. right. I put that on my wall yeah. today. I put that on yeah, my wall today. You know, they're telling the blacks, some of the blacks that were protesting, telling them to get out of their country. And this is some of the stuff that we hear over here in America. I've had, you know, white people say, well, if you don't like it here, then you could just leave. 
And I said, no, we built this country. We built every aspect of this country. You know, that White House, that Capitol, there are black bodies buried underneath it. This economy, we built that. You all built this economy on our free labor. If it had not been for the black slaves in this country, the United States would not be in a position that it's in now. And that money recycles itself. And even now with the blacks in this country, again, it is by design that a certain amount of people that are unemployed, underemployed, and are kept at certain wages, that is by design. You all have to go out and read about economics to understand some of the finer points of micro and macroeconomics to understand what's happening with that and why that is set up the way that it is. So, you know, we give you this information. We post these links. We want you all to learn. We want you to learn. And so, you know, segueing into the, you know, the conversation here today, I think we got Travis. Travis, if you want to speak, press one. Let me know. Um, basically, you know, you know, we have poverty in our community. We have crime in our community. All right. I think we'll hold on a second. Here's Travis. Travis is with us now. Hello, fellow hey, Earthling. But, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, the different things that are happening in the black community. So, you know, while the pregnancy rates, you know, have gone down, you know, the teenage pregnancy rates, they've gone down, you know, they're still at a certain level. Um, we still have crime. We still have poverty. Now, mind you, this is in all communities. And, you know, basically, I don't want anyone sending me any notes or calling in asking about black-on-black crime. There's no such thing as black-on-black crime. If that's the case, then let's talk about white-on-white crime. Whites commit six times as many crimes as a black. There's no such crime. It's just crime. But I'm talking about the black community. So, I mean, I don't want you to get that twisted. So... We still have all of these, you know, issues going on in our community, um, the lack of jobs, the lack of educational opportunities, the lack of, you know, small business ownership. We have all of these issues in, in, in our particular communities. So, again, you know, I'm trying to see the correlation between the black church and what's happening in our communities, um, what the black church can do to help alleviate some of these issues um, to help people get to another level, to be able to educate themselves and, you know, where do we grow? Not necessarily go, but where do we grow from here? You know, last week we talked about how, you know, with a lot of these churches, they don't pay taxes, and many of them not only own that one particular church, which are primarily and economically and educationally disadvantaged areas, but they also own a lot of real estate. They don't pay taxes on that either. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a fight going on here in Chicago because the mayor is now wanting these faith-based, you know, organizations to pay their own water bill. They weren't even paying their water bill. They only have to pay a portion of their lights and gas. And so, I mean, this is the reason why when I talk about certain things, I talk about the business aspect of the church so you all can get a better understanding because, you know, we have people pointing the finger, but I want you to know why it's okay to point the finger in certain respects. 
So if someone calls you on it or asks you, you'll be able to answer, you know, intelligently as to why this is a wrong. Okay? So, you know, they're not paying taxes. So they're sucking money out of the local economy. And if they do open businesses, they usually employ their own children or their cronies' children, and rarely do they employ somebody that lives in the area. So when these people get their paycheck, they go spend it elsewhere. They don't spend it at the businesses in the local area, yet the people in the local area spend money at their businesses, businesses that do not necessarily pay taxes on the property. So, and, and so, you know, I want you guys to understand, you know, how deep this goes. And then the schools in many of these areas are dilapidated. They are not, you know, the reading levels are not where they need to be. And I need for you guys to understand that the number of prison beds, you know, this is a calculation, the number of prison beds, you know, when they're forecasting and projecting in the future, the number of cells and prison beds and, you know, uh, all of this for the future, that correlates with the fifth and sixth grade reading levels. If your child is not reading at their level in the fifth or sixth grade, they've already calculated, they've studied us, they've done the math, there is a really good chance that your child will end up incarcerated. You need to understand how all of this plays into each other. So this is why if you can't read, you can't get a job, and if you can't get a job legally, you're going to try to make your money illegally. Exactly, exactly. So this ties into what I'm saying about the black churches. So, you know, some of them have daycares. So, you know, how can they improve the curriculum for the daycare so that these children can be at level or above level? You know, um, you know, what type of mentorships do they have available? Why aren't they employing the people in the neighborhood? Why aren't they doing HIV and AIDS outreach in the local neighborhoods where their churches? Why aren't they even acknowledging HIV and AIDS in many cases? You know, now I see many of them starting to come around and acknowledge it a little bit, but some, they only acknowledge it one week out of the year. Forget the other 51 weeks, but that one particular week, the reason for that is because they receive grant money. Okay, if they don't receive grant money for the other 51 weeks. So, I mean, I want you guys to pay attention and to know what's happening here. You know, um, in Chicago, on several occasions, I've seen churches out here marching up and down the blocks saying, you know, stop the violence and the violence um, in many different neighborhoods because we just, we have a major problem here in Chicago. They call us Chirac. There were more people killed in Chicago than there were in Iraq. You know, a lot of people think that now that it's cold outside that people, you know, are going in the house just this weekend alone. And the weekend isn't over. This is early Sunday afternoon. We've had two people killed and seven people shot. And when I say it's cold outside, it's cold outside. I ain't been out there. I'm like, I don't need milk that bad. Forget it. I'll wait. But, you know, know, Uh I'm just saying, Uh you know, right. Um. Is, is, this is happening. Where is the church, and what is the church's responsibility? Now, while I point, you know, the finger at the church, I also point the finger at the secular community. So we're going to keep yep. this fair and balanced, okay? But, but, 
Go ahead, Travis. Go ahead. Go on, go on, go on. Go ahead. <laughs> why, don't we just, why don't we just stick messing with the church, first of all? <laughs> They've been in charge running stuff for decades, and mm-hmm. the secular anybody uh, hasn't even put a toe in the water yet. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll put, right. like put it like this. I, I agree that the, the secular community um, has, has, in general, not been out there and, or, and organized as long as the church has. I'll give them that. But I, like I said last week, you know, you're, you're, you want to use our experiences, but you don't care anything to help. You know what I mean? And um, I think when you uh, use the experiences of people of color for your billboards, for your advertising, for your recruitment, um, particularly in the, you know, the insensitive way in which they've done it, um, I think that they have some obligation, especially now that it's been pointed out to them how insensitive it was, um, you know, to get involved in a, in a more meaningful right. way than putting out something just, you know, inflammatory, you know, out there on a billboard, you know. That's just my feeling. Right. Right. And, and, you know, the way that I see this is, you know, I'll go back to the Stop the Violence marches. You know, we all know that there are several different factors in, you know, violence. And, you know, it can be a number of different issues, but – you know, with these churches marching, and many of them, you know, they have the money. Why aren't you – basically, I feel that a lot of these churches need to come together and open businesses together to help the local economy, to help the local people. As far as the secular community is concerned, I posted an article from um, this woman, and basically she was talking about – you know, her being a survivor of depression and what it sounds like when, you know, to religious people, when people in a secular community tell them that their religious, you know, upbringing or their, you know, um, basically religious affiliation is a mental illness, that shuts the conversation down. Right. Because, yeah. because many of them will turn to you out at that point. And so, you know, one of the things that I try to promote with this show, especially when I'm talking to non-believers and atheists, freethinkers, humanists, is we have to find a better way of communicating with people. Now, most of us are yeah, armed no. here psychologists, if you will. But I'm going to talk in a second, right? Now. Give me a sec here. And basically, you know, regardless of ideology, we have to find a way to go back into these communities, in particular communities of color and poor white communities as well. And we need to find a way to go into these communities and, you know, facilitate solutions. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do something, you know, and that's why I feel that churches should be taxed at a commercial tax rate, not only on the church but all the property that they own, and, you know, not just churches, but all 501c3s. And take that money that's generated and let's reinvest it back in these communities. Where are the scholarships, you know, for the people that have been convicted of drug crimes? Once you're convicted of a drug crime, you cannot get any type of Pell Grant. You can't get any loans, nothing. So once they come out, from, you know, the prison system, and they come back home, they're having a hard time getting a job. There are some reentry programs out there, but not nearly enough. 
where are the churches and where is the secular community. So this is not necessarily an indictment. <clears throat> We're trying to offer some solutions because there are some things that I know that we'll be doing with the Black Skeptics Group, especially once I move to Los Angeles next year. We'll be able to move forward with some of these things, and we'll be able to build a template because, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you guys about all of this, but trust me, I'm putting together project plans on my end so that, you know, Los Angeles will be our test subject. So, L.A., I'm coming. You know, and, you know, I'm we need solutions. So that's why I have question mark behind it and not an exclamation point. This is why we talk interfaith, you know, and trying to talk with each other instead of at each other, instead of pointing the finger. You know, and again, when I talk about the black church, I'm not talking about the individuals. I'm talking about the institution because some of the most beautiful people that I've ever met have come out of the black church. Even being a non-believer and atheist, one of my Latino friends, when I was sick, you know, they were the ones that picked me up from the hospital. Now, they're very Catholic, very, very Catholic, but, you know, made me meals three times a day, made sure I had all the supplies that I need, and to this day we're still the best of friends. So I'm not talking about individuals, but I'm talking about just the church as an institution. No, it has not done everything that it was supposed to have done. Because if we go back and we go back to their Bible and to their scriptures, Jesus tells you to love, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I'm not seeing a lot of that. You know, they're talking about this sowing and reaping. They're talking about tithes and offerings, and in particular tithes. That money is supposed to go to help strangers, which are homeless people, orphans, which are children without a father. Now, you've got to put this in context and think about the time that they were living in. When that husband died or left, that woman was beholden to that husband's family to supply her needs, and the church was there to help. So we're talking about widows, you know. Um, you know, so you know, you know, it's this. That's what that money is there for. That's what it's supposed to be for. The church is not doing what they're supposed to do. The secular community, again, we're in our infancy as far as this wave of secularism is concerned. And I don't want us to get caught up in the same trap that other ones, you know, that other people have been caught up in. I want us to have some type of consciousness and have some type of standard of excellence and to go into these communities because it's getting worse. And we have to do something. We live in these communities. And we can't have that attitude that I see from a lot of people, especially going to these word of faith prosperity churches. I got mine. Now you get yours. That's selfish which is why I can never be a libertarian because I am not a selfish hedonist who only cares about myself. We have to do better. Raina? Travis? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I I agree with you. I mean, um, Travis, I didn't know if you were going to keep, I didn't know if you had something else to say. The only thing I was going to add was something about, you know, the stigma associated with mental illness already, but um, you've kind of gone away from that initial article, so we'll we'll move on. Go on, go on, tell it. Because, you know, we're we're all over the page. I just kind of, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get into uh, the mental health discussion today. I mean, since we were talking about this other thing, but I mean, I think that 
I think that just the same way that, you know, secularists have to be very conscious of what they're doing when they invoke the experiences of particular people, that they also have to worry about um, how they how they present those things because they can further add to the stigmatization of certain um, experiences, conditions, you know, illnesses that people might be dealing with. So, um, yep. you know, just to keep those things in mind. Yeah, I would just want to say just to keep those things in mind because, you know, I mean, there's already a problem in this country with, you know, people who have mental illness being able to talk about their mental illness and and, and coming forward and seeking help, seeking treatment for these types of things. And so you kind of push people, you know, you know, out of you know, wanting to seek the services that they need because you're you're saying that this is it's such a bad thing or such a scary thing or that they, they shouldn't be around people or they can't think logically or make decisions on their own. Um, and then you're you're really infantilizing. I think mostly what what atheists mean when they compare religious people or religious beliefs to mental illness is they're really trying to infantilize, which is what a lot of people do when they talk about mental illnesses, they're really trying to infantilize you. You're not capable of making, being an adult, of making decisions. You need to be monitored. You can't be around, you can't be around weapons. You know, let me put, let me take all your steak knives. You know what I mean? Because this is the sort of mentality that people have because they don't understand what these things are and what they're about. There are more people out there that are depressed than we think. There are friends and their neighbors. Some of them are, are, you know, they have short-term conditions. Some of them have very long-term conditions. But it's not a scary thing. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know. Right, and, you know, and that does fall into the conversation today because I posted a story about a pastor who had lost his wife to a brain aneurysm, and he said he heard her footsteps, and then he started hearing her voice, and he killed himself in front of his son and his mother. And my thing is, regardless of ideology, if someone comes to you and say that they're thinking about harming themselves or they need help, take their hand, help them. Period. Help them. And the reason why this plays into today's conversation is because all over the country, money geared toward mental health care has been slashed and cut. You know, during the Reagan years, you know, the, the transient hotels that we had, that we had, they used to house, you know, some of the mental health patients because they started shutting down mental health facilities and turning those people out into the street. And the only place mm-hmm. for any of them for to live were the, you know, the transient hotels. Those were shut down and they were put out on the street. We need to be out here protesting that more money is put into mental health care. We need to be out here protesting and demanding that they reopen because they started shutting down and closing a lot of the mental health care facilities. So, you right. know, and we definitely needed in communities of color as well. So, you know, you know, one of the things that I used to see when I used to go to church in some cases when I would see certain people running around the church shouting and screaming, in some cases they were covering a manic episode. And you have to learn how to identify if you can, because, you know, we're not professionals. You know, there are professionals out there. Now, here is one point for the secular community, the therapist project. The secular community is trying to put something together. So, you know, I want to show the good and I want to show what we can do. And especially with the new Affordable Care Act, 
there are different provisions within that act in which we can, you know, put together some of these programs. So, you know, again, it's about solutions, not necessarily pointing the finger, but, you know, again, I'll even give some credit to some of these churches out here. I've heard different pastors wanting to do different programs but not having anybody wanting to volunteer or not having the knowledge or people that know how to run these programs or even set it up. So it doesn't matter if the pastor wants to have that program. If no one in the church knows how to set it up or no one wants to help him, what can he do? Because he can't do it by himself. And that's some of the issues that some of the leaders, even in the secular community, that's some of the problems that we're having. There are quite a few things that we want to do but we have we are having a really hard time getting people to volunteer and help. And along with the volunteerism, there is also this issue of resources. We need money. So we need benefactors. So, I mean, you know, we can sit here and talk about this all day, but we need help. We need professionals to come out here and help us. You know, some of us that are professionals that know how to do these things, we need volunteers to come out here and help us. In some cases, you know, people will be paid, you know, because, I mean, you know, not everything and not everybody is going to be a willing worker. We understand that. And with some of these skill sets, you deserve to be paid. We're not saying that, you know, you shouldn't be paid. But, you know, again, we need help getting some of these programs up and running. And this is for all of our communities. Hmm. Oh, yeah, someone, yeah, you know, um, Auntie Atheist in the chat room said, one of the problems we have, though, is that churches have aligned with corporations and government. Cutting programs is a business strategy intended to drive floundering fish into church nets. You know, and that's, True. You know, part of that is true. And the thing is, is that I talked about last week about the faith-based initiatives and how when Obama, President Obama, first ran, he stated that he was going to basically cut that out, you know, cut out that particular department, and the religious leaders, you know, gathered together with him. And I guess they had a nice long talk with him, and all of a sudden now we have a faith-based czar. And they're pumping even more money, you know. But, yeah, a lot of churches are aligned with corporations and the government, in particular the government. And, you know, again, this is where they're getting that extra money. And, you know, someone said in the chat room earlier they would like to see, you know, basically the 990s of these churches to see what percentage of their money is going towards charity. Well, it's like this. They receive you know, and we talked about this last week, they received the local, state, and federal grants. And this is what helps fund some of the programs that they have. So the tithes and offerings that are coming into the church, that's what I want to know about, the tithes and offerings that you're receiving in, in the churches. How much of that are you reinvesting in the, in, in the community? See, I want to know how much of your money, not the, not the grants, not the government or business money, but your money, you know, the church money, and I, I called up a couple of Christian shows, and you should have seen them deflecting that question. I mean, they were making moves that would have made the temptations proud, trying to get away from that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, <laughs> you know, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to make another comment, Kim, about um, what she was saying about churches being aligned with some of these corporate interests. Um, it's, some of them are. But some of them, some of them, you know, some of these churches, not all of these churches, because there's, like you said, a number of progressive churches out there. But there are a lot of 
uh, there are some churches that just simply have the barrier of doctrine. You know what I mean? Some of these churches, okay. you know, particularly I'm looking at the Pentecostals primarily, that, you know, advocate, you know, um, you know, prayer, you know, and the laying of hands and all of these types of things, faith healing types of remedies, you know, over secular, you know, secular ones, you know, or what we might call effective ones. Um, and so there, there's that barrier too. But then there's also just, there's just, um, there, there's just been an ineffective um, outreach on the part of uh, of people in these progressive sectors, people in um, science, people in, you know, um, the social sciences, you know, reaching out to these communities and really informing, you know, these groups about the impact that certain types of um, legislation might have. For example, with right. the, um, you know, with Michelle Alexander, if you remember Michelle Alexander, Alexander's book, I can't speak today, what's going on? But um, <laughs> the new Jim Crow, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, um, you know, some of these black leaders, you know, um, politicians eh, that were fooled by the, um, the language of being tough on crime. Churches were too. And, exactly. um, and, we, and, and so we have to um, have people have in conversations with churches about um, there's because there seems to be a tendency within Christianity in particular, um, you know, in terms of punishment and being punitive. Christians tend to be more punitive. And so that means that those of us who are in, interested in the social sciences and have an understanding of the social sciences need to talk about things like restorative justice, not just right. retributive justice. And we have mm-hmm. to make clear how these things relate to their doctrine of Jesus Christ, you know what I mean, and and, and try yeah. to help them with that. I mean, I, I think that's going to be much more effective than saying, oh, you're a dumb right. Christian, put down the Bible, right, exactly. you know what I mean, because these people aren't right. stupid. It's just that sometimes, you know, the language of politics and people are, you know, the, the charisma and, and, and all of these ads and things like that, you know, people can be scared into a particular position. <laughs> so it is upon people who have the knowledge to say, don't be fooled by the propaganda, you know. Don't believe the hype. This is not going to protect you down the road. You know, yes, you might lock up a couple hundred thousand more people. You know what I mean? But those people were not the problem. What is the problem is that there are no jobs here. So let's get your people some more jobs. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And we have Mario on the line with us. And, you know, that goes back into, you know, it ties into, you know, what we were talking about with just the black church. And, you know, they've been here for a while, which is why we're somewhat pointing the finger at them, like, what have you been doing? And it has, you know, degenerated over each, you know, generation, degenerated in the respect of being out in the community and helping the community. Now, they've gotten much better at driving much better cars. You know, they went from everybody wanting to have a Mercedes and BMW to now everybody wants a Gulfstream in, in their own union or bank. <laughs> so, you know, they progress much more. You know, their dreams are bigger. Their goals are much loftier while their congregation becomes more and more impoverished. And, you know, I just find all of that, you know, interesting. Um, but 
Yeah, you know, going back to what, you know, Raina was saying, yeah, and that's why I believe in interfaith dialogue. Now, there are a lot of atheists, non-believers, freethinkers, humanists, whatever you call yourself, out there that do not believe in interfaith dialogue. I believe we need to talk to each other and not at each other. We need to find a way to come together on the things that we do agree on. How do you think the civil rights movement was able to push forward the way that they, the way that it did? Again, the civil rights movement started out as a secular movement, and the only reason why they started invoking the Bible and scriptures is because the white nationalists were using scriptures to justify slavery, to justify the mistreatment of blacks, to justify Jim Crow. So in order to fight that, they had to find scriptures to contradict or counteract, you know, what the white nationalists were saying, which is why, you know, I don't understand why they don't see the contradictions in the Bible, but that's a whole different discussion there. But the thing is is that, you know, there are things that we could work on together. Now, I'm not going to be at a prayer breakfast. If I do go to your prayer breakfast, I ain't praying, but I will eat your food up. But, you know, oh, you know. Uh, uh, oh, geez. Oh, geez. Oh, that's funny. Um, no, I'm not coming to your prayer breakfast. I just want to let you know. I'll be down the Denny's down the street. We can talk afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. When Denny's, y'all get them, I mean, yeah. They don't really have the, They don't really have good, you know, service for people of color. But um, in any case, um, at least that's what I hear. But um, you know, but in any case, no, it's it's true. We need to have these conversations with people who don't necessarily hold the same beliefs as us. You know, as as a whole, atheists don't really make up a large enough size of the population to be able to do these things effectively on their own. Black atheists, we're even we're an even smaller part of the, you know, the population. So there's really exactly. no way in this world that we can just take up this 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 mantle and do it all on our own. We have to be willing to sit down with people who don't necessarily hold our same beliefs. You know, and find common ground. We don't have to. I don't have to work with you if you're if you're a bigot. So I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna work with you if you're an, if you're a bigot. But if you say, you know, you're a progressive, you know, religious person who believes in human rights and in social justice, and you know, believes that gay people are human beings who ha- deserve the same rights as any other human uh, human being and any other American, then we can work together. You know what I mean? But, exactly. You know, we—I I just don't want anyone to get this I, this notion that just be, because we're talking about interfaith, that means we have to work with all of these people. No, we don't have to work with all of these people. We work with people with whom we have something in common. You know. Exactly. And let's 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 add another point to that as well. You know, again, the atheist community is just a microcosm of you know um, the population, and the black atheist community is even an even more minute. You know, aspect of that. Now, when uh-huh. I go back to the atheist community as a whole, the atheist community as a whole does not seem to be interested in social justice. That is only a small percentage of us, black and or white and or Latino and or Asian and or indigenous, D, all of the above. And that's only right. a small amount. We need people that have the skill sets, and we need people that will volunteer and come out. I mean, in some cases, we can barely get you guys to come out to a meeting. 
You, you know, Kim, uh-huh. Kim you, you, you really hit on something there. If it's really hard to get atheists to come to an atheist, agnostic, you know, secular meeting, and how, how hard is it going to be to get them to start wanting to team up with people who they just, try, who they just got away from? Right, because they're not. Right. Well, well, for one, we're not asking them to sit in a pew. <laughs> That's the main thing. We're not asking people to sit in pews with at the church. We're not asking you to go on Sunday. We're not asking you to take communion. We're not asking you to do any of that. We're asking you to sit with people and to find common ground so that we can get reforms made and and progress made that we all need will benefit us all. You know. Okay, right, so let's so let's pick one item. What's one um, subject or topic of common ground that we should be able to team up with um, the churches on? Um, economic justice, fair wages, any of those. Exactly. Because so. that will be a good start. So, because go ahead. What's your argument going to be to the preacher? If you help everybody get more wages, you can get some more. You know. Uh, Money in the plate? No, that's not the argument. The argument, there's really no argument to be had. If if we have to make the point that fighting for for better wages for your parishioners is a good idea, then that's not a person that we want to team up with. We want to team up with the person who acknowledges that 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 is something that Christ would have wanted, you know what I mean, to help the poor, to help the disenfranchised. Mm. You want to work mm. with those people already. Gonna, you want to work they, with someone who has that as part of their ethos to begin with. If you're trying, you're not going to convince. Yeah, you're not going to convince a prosperity gospel preacher to do any of that because that that's that's not something that they want to do. And frankly, I don't want to work with a prosperity gospel preacher because that's the person who's going to be like, oh, well, now that you got another, you know, twenty, thirty percent added to your check, let me take another ten. You know what I mean? I don't need that. I don't want that. <laughs> That's not what I want. I want to help. I want to help the, the the ministers who are already in the community wanting to get social justice initiatives moving forward. Right, and then also, if there is a pastor that's saying what's in it for him personally, um, that's not somebody we want to work with anyway, right. because it's not about you. It's about the community, and. Right. You know, um, yeah, so, yeah, now there, you know, if there are jobs in the community, um, basically that will help to decrease some of the crime rates. And, again, you know, it, it makes people feel empowered. You know, then you'll have more people that are probably willing to help because now they can help themselves. And now they have, you know, some self-confidence, some semblance of self that, you know, um, reliance, if you will, and but the pastor, if the pastor's saying what's in it for him, then we know that's a pimp. Right. Yep. There's a few, Travis. There's a few. Go ahead, Deborah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Saying, there is a few waking up, okay? I, I, you know, I've noticed the difference. I don't know whether they're waking up because they're getting less money in the plate or they're waking up because they're seeing things a little bit different. I don't know the reason. But, yeah, it's a few waking up, you know. But, you know, like I said, I don't know their intentions. Maybe they, they want more people to come 
you know, like, you know, maybe they just, I don't know, being different to get more people in, to be accepted in the church who would want to come to church. I don't know the reason behind yet, but I do right. think and, and the thing is, no, but, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and it, there is a chance that as we go into the community and work with churches that some of the people in the community will go to church, but, you know, that's not necessarily our concern per se. I mean, the thing is is that even with fostering the dialogue with the churches and the pastors, you know, there is bound to be some influence. There is bound to oh, be yeah. some type of influence, and so – and. You know, I could only hope that, you know, they would hold themselves to a higher accord, that they would start thinking about some of the things that they're teaching these people. You know, one of the things that um, I was talking with, um, I believe it was Raina the other day. If it wasn't Raina, it was one of my other friends. And we were talking about, you know, complacency in, you know, communities of color. And I'm tired of hearing people, oh, yeah, I was talking to Judy. And Judy did some research for the show today. Judy, thank you so much. I wanted to acknowledge her. Judy is one of our research assistants, Judy Copeland. And we were talking about complacency in the community because I'll give you an example. There was a suicide threat on Facebook earlier this year. And, um, you know, somebody in the atheist community was on the phone with the individual you know, talking to him, trying to keep him calm, um, trying to encourage him to just, you know, that the situation wasn't as bad as he thought it was. And while, you know, she was on the phone encouraging this individual, she was on Facebook saying suicide threat, help, 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 and putting information out there. And she tagged me, and that's how I found out about it. And so I called the police department in the area where he, you know, lived or allegedly lived. And we had one Christian on there that was saying, well, I'm praying for him. And see, that's what angered me. You can pray for him while calling the popo. So we can try to get this individual some help because apparently he wanted some help because he wouldn't have reached out. And so what I'm saying is, you know, with, you know, saying that they're going to pray for somebody or, you know, they're putting it in God's hands and just being really complacent about certain situations, hopefully we can galvanize them to kind of come out of that mindset. You can put it in God's hands, but you can also pick up this picket sign and walk in a circle like the rest of us. You can also get on your computer and write a letter and print it out and send it to your, your you know, your congressman like the rest of us can. You can also, you know, put it in God's hands and, and not spend your money at this particular store because they discriminate against people of color. You know, you can do all of these things while putting it in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two hands helping is better than 10,000 lips praying. Sure. Okay, so I asked you last week, how many, what percentage of preachers do you think really don't believe? And we okay. said we just threw a, a, a guess out there at 50%. Okay, and so and then so out of that fifty percent that really believe, there aren't there aren't you know just uh, tricksters. What percent um, is really about uh, about um, money for themselves, and that church is really just their family business. Okay, and Mm -hmm. so there's another percent where that really is the case, right? Now, if that's the case. 
what type of research are we going to have to do to not be teaming up with a trickster, huckster person? The same type of research we have to do to make sure that we're not teaming up with atheists who are doing the same exact thing because we already know that there are atheists in this community who are essentially ripping folks off. I mean, the... I mean, I don't want to say this particular person's name, but they're a very famous, you know, sort of YouTube, you know, atheist um, who is known for having these um, drives where he asks for, for various things. Um, you know, majority. <laughs> majority male. Um, a majority male. Okay. Majority male. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> and... Um, you know, he's he's very outspoken, you know, very shrill, um, you know. Okay, so you're talking about, you're talking about Dusty or something? No, not him, not him. Okay, else. okay, but good. I've heard things about this other individual you speak of. Um, but in this case, um, you know, he is known this? for... For, these, for, for having these campaigns where he asks for a whole lot of money, and the product or thing that he says that he's going to produce is never produced, ever at all, and he steadily asks for money all the time, and um, and it's just it's just really interesting to me um, that some that so many people like defend this person and so many people support this person despite uh, I think we're on like four or five occasions now where he's had these large drives and a couple of times he just flat out asked for money to keep his lights on. I mean, you know, this is this is what they do. So we we don't criticize people in our own communities who are doing these things, or just very few of us, you know, criticize these folks. But a lot of us are are, are already looking at Christians with the side eye, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be critical of them or we shouldn't, you know, examine whether or not they have good intentions. But we also have to make sure that we're critical of people on this side as well. So exactly, exactly. We have a caller on the line. Let's. Um, bring in area code seven six three. May we ask who's calling? Oh, this is gender equality. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, good G. afternoon. How are you? I'm just listening and loving the conversation. But I'm saying, I'm saying, I just wanted to listen, but the the internet shut down. So is it okay if I just sit back and listen? Yeah, go ahead. Let me put you back on hold. You had pressed one by mistake, so let me put you back on hold. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we got we got, got we got G E listening to yeah. Black Free. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is the dial in number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, three one zero nine eight two four two seven three and press one if you would like to speak with us. I just want to let you guys know next Sunday again we will be having our live YouTube webcast. We got the technical issues situated so we don't have to worry about hearing <laughs> reverb and echoes. And, you know, it's going to be 1 o'clock Central Standard Time, 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, so 2 o'clock Eastern Time. And I think, and I think I am going to do a show that evening, and it's just going to be a continuation of the conversation that we had earlier in the day. So, you know, we're going to talk about our experiences as being, you know, black atheists, black humanists, free thinkers, and the impact that it's had on our lives. Um, on the 22nd, we're going to do our Festivus show. It's before Festivus, but we can just start airing our grievances early. And so, you know, I'm 
so I'm going to be talking about my experiences in corporate America, experiences with the medical community, just life experiences. And so we encourage you guys to call in. You know, I'm even going to talk about some of my religious experiences. I'm going to put one particular pastor on blast. So it should be a real fun show on the 22nd. Oh, wow. All right, now. Are you talking about a, uh, the other thing for next week? Are you talking about a, a Google Plus thing? Yeah, yeah. The Google, the Google Plus is going to be the live YouTube, and Donald Wright will be our moderator. Emily will be joining us. Raina will be there. Um, Frank Anderson, who's the president of Black Skeptic Chicago, he'll be there. Datlin Mai will be there, as well as um, Don Barbera. You know, he wrote Black But Not Baptist. You know, he'll be there. So, you know, it should be a really, really good conversation. And so we'll be talking about, you know, um, by, you know, about revealing your non-belief and how it can be paralyzing and terrifying and, you know, just different things that some of us have gone through and some of the reasons behind it. So we want everybody to share. Hmm. You know, uh, I noticed something. I tried to watch the thing you had before with the echoes, but to me it looked like it was just because some people didn't have headphones on. Right, so we got all that situated. So, yeah, yeah, it was about, okay. you know, the headphones and the microphone, and we we got all that situated, and, you know, um, it, it, it'll be better this next time. So, yeah, we my apologies for the technical glitch. But it should be a really, you know, great conversation, and we're looking forward to it. And next year is going to start out with a bang. We'll have another presentation in January. But the weekend of February 14th, Valentine's Day weekend, we're just going to have a bonanza. So basically it's going to be an online conference. We'll start that Friday evening. We'll have some panels on Saturday and have some panels on Sunday. And this is our way of giving back to the community because, you know, many people, many of us are not able to get to the conferences for one reason or another, and this is our way of giving back to the community and saying thank you and letting you guys know how much we appreciate your love and your support. And we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to see how these panels are conducted and and for you also to be a part of the conversation because when we say you're not alone out there, you're not alone, and we do want to hear from you and we do want you to be a part of the conversation because you do have a voice and it's important to us that you're able to speak your truth. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So there you go. So, yeah, but now getting back to, you know, what Travis was saying about um, not knowing who's, you know, a huckster or not, I mean, you know, that's why on this show I contrast the community of faith and the secular community, and I show the parallels. I do that all of the time because, like, in the church you have people who are only out for themselves. They don't really care about their congregation. That's their piggy bank. You have some of the same people out here doing the same thing in the community, in the atheist, you know, secular community. They're only out here to, you know, elevate themselves and they don't care about the people. And the thing is is that if that's what you're into and that's what you're about, that's fine. But, you know, we have to call it out when we see it. And in most cases, I'm very, very gentle about it. But I still call them out on what they're doing. But <laughs> she's very <laughs> gentle. She's much more gentle than she than she could be. Right. Like that. 
you know, but the thing is, is that it's about the community, it's about people, and that's why, you know, we're trying to find solutions. And, you know, even though, again, you know, as we stated earlier, there are some people in this community that want absolutely nothing to do with the community of faith. I understand that. And you don't have to have anything to do with the community of faith, but for some of us, we feel that having this interfaith dialogue is to the benefit of the community, and it's easier to work together than to work separately and still be fighting each other while working separately. And I feel that we have more in common than we do in differences. So, you know, it's about focusing on the we just uh, we just don't agree on one thing, right? But we still all recognize that um, the collusion between the billionaires and their uh, representative puppets that are our that are our voted in representatives. Yeah, that's a rough yeah. one. And if we're going to argue about religion or race or a whole bunch of other things other than that being the main issue. Uh, it, it won't matter um, what you believe or not. That's why you, right. yeah, that's why you got to put it on the back burner. You know your religion. But right, exactly. So many people. I I just believe sometimes I be you know checking out what people say, and some of it's just I feel that a lot of black people think that they deserve what's happening to them, that they deserve the slavery, they deserved everything. I I just I don't know. I just um. Well, part of that is because that was instilled in them, and that was instilled in them with the Bible, with scriptures. And even now in modern times, um, you have people that feel as though, you know, whatever situation, let's say they have an illness, some of them feel as though they deserve that because they were, you know, a bad person. You hear people talking about karma. And, oh, that happened to her because of karma. And then what I want to ask them, I'm like, man, you must have been a hell of a bastard because look what the hell don't happen to you in your life. You know, now, I don't believe in karma or anything like that. You know, life happens, you know. and But, you know, we have to get into those mindsets and get people out of that victim mentality, if you will, and out of that poverty mindset, if you will. Because there are some people that feel as though they are supposed to be poor while they're on this earth because they have a mansion waiting on them in heaven and the streets. And, I mean, they've been sold on this. But then there are other people in which that is their coping mechanism. Because there are people out here that do understand the economic and political injustices in which, you know, communities of color have been thumbed under from the very beginning, and their faith, that Bible, helps them to cope. Because there's a difference between coping and functioning. And with some people, this is how they cope. You know, this is why some people have breakdowns. This is why, I mean, there are a variety of different factors. But for some people, it's a coping mechanism. And that ties into, you know, what Raina and I, you know, discussed a little bit earlier about some of the mental health care out there, you know, we have to teach people different coping mechanisms, encourage them to go to therapists so that they can learn how to cope. And if you can cope, then you can function. And go ahead, Travis. So you're saying that, okay, so we should, uh, yeah, I mean, 
figure out how to get people to deal with their small piece of the pie rather than get the people who are hoarding the pie to share it? Or or one no, while no, we're no, trying no, to do the other in the meantime. Yeah, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, I'm not saying that we don't hold other people accountable. No, not at all. Because, you know, you have these pastors and these politicians that are out here hoarding all the money, all the resources. That's just wrong. And that needs to be pointed out. They need to be called out. And, you know, but that goes back to, again, you know, politicians and public policy and a different law because rich people should be paying more in taxes, just like these nonprofit organizations should be paying commercial taxes. You know, I'm saying that, you know, the laws need to be revamped across the board. But what they have now is they have people pointing the finger at each other. You know, we talked about the Tea Party Mm -hmm. a little earlier. So you have the Tea Party and some factions of the Tea Party pointing at, you know, the immigrants and pointing at communities of color and saying, you all are the problem. And we're not the problem. They, they're too busy having pitting us one against the other when the problem is institutionalized racism, the sexism, and we need to point out what's happening and why it's happening the way that it is. But it's easier to point the finger at, other individuals or communities that have been oppressed and they can't really fight back, which kind of ties into what Irena was saying earlier about the Black Panthers and having the guns and protecting your own community. You know, communities of color have been beat down and victimized and vilified so much. In, in some cases, people have just given up. And we have uh-huh. to try to go back and restore some of that hope. But then we also have to hold the people that committed or victimized us, we have to hold them accountable. Just like, you know, what happened, you know, with this last economic bust. Basically, the majority of the wealth that had been gathered and, you know, aggregated through communities of color, a lot of that was lost. And not one of those, you know, Wall Street people went to jail for it. So, I mean... So, you know, they need to be held accountable, yes. I feel that they, you know, they should have allowed AIG, they should have allowed it to fail. You know, they should have, you know, um, J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, Bank of America, all of them. If if they were supposed to collapse, they should have collapsed. There is no such thing as too big to fail. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Is that what you're Uh, saying, Travis? Well, no, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, basically, they, they blame the poor. And the TV, they tried to blame the poor and they say the reason why stuff is messed up is because too many people who couldn't afford to pay their mortgage, you know, bought a house. And that, that, ain't, that ain't the case. Those people were, in general, never able to buy a house. The trick was just on them. You know what I mean? Where anyway, you know, or some people where, lost their jobs during the recession. I mean, that was the other situation that some people uh, fell into too. And let's remember that even the people who could afford it, they were given subprime mortgages yes. just because yeah. they were people of color. You know, yeah, trick mortgages. And yeah, why, trick mortgages. And that's why banks. Yeah, exactly. And that's why some of these banks are being fined, and you know, but it's not nearly enough. I think J.P. Morgan Chase only had to pay back $13 billion. That's not even a dent in, you know, the wealth that was lost. I mean, you know, you know your 401Ks, you know, um, you know, you, the people's retirement funds pretty much were wiped out. And, you know, it, 
you know, we have to go back and we have to look at that. In part of the right. um, Privilege Mutiny series, I talked about, you know, with FHA and how they were doing racial steering and steering white people into certain areas and steering black people into other areas and how the mortgage, you know, terms were different for people of color and all of that. And that's what I what, it ties back into public policy because, you know, again, you know, even though they've instituted instituted certain federal laws, again, it's pushed back down to the states, and the states make certain determinations, and this is how they were able to discriminate against certain people of color. And that's why we're telling people, that's why we feel that it's important to vote. Your local politics has more of an effect on your life than a federal politics, even though that has an effect too. I'm not saying not to vote in federal elections, but you need to know who your mayor is. You need to know who your state legislatures are. You need to know who your, you know, who your, um, your House of Representatives you know, your house rep is, you know, your senators. It's important that you know these people and it's important that you understand their politics when you vote them in. And then also, don't continue voting the same person in that's not doing anything for your community. Yes, Travis. And they need to know you. They need to know that you got an eye on them. They need to know that Kim's watching them. They need to know that right. Raina is listening to everything they say. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, taking, and taking Trump's notes, too, okay? Yeah. I was just going to say one other thing to go along with what you were saying and, and to tie this all this back into the problem of white supremacy and, and, um, and racial discrimination. This is, and, and this is just another example of, you know, how sometimes policies that are not necessarily race-based can have unintended, you know, racial discrimination um, agenda or, or can be kind of can contribute to the agenda. Um, for example, the Obama actually approves of the changes in the, um, in the, um, plus loans that that a lot of people you know apply for to get their kids into school. Well, the problem is is those plus loans uh, and the changes they don't take into consideration the tremendous wealth that was lost during mm-hmm. this last recession and the housing crisis. And so there are black families that are less able to get their hands on that money, which means that somebody's not going to school. Exactly. 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 It all ties in. Um, and I'm going to make a point in 2A1. I'm going to bring you in in a second. And basically that goes back to an article that I posted a couple of weeks ago about how the monies that had been guaranteed for, you know, um, economically and educationally disadvantaged students that, you know, they were giving to the universities, instead of giving $20,000 to one individual poor student, what the universities were given the liberty to do was to make four or $5,000 scholarships and give that to middle upper income children, so, you know, children whose parents made over $100,000 a year. Now, why is it that they're getting $5,000 each, but this poor kid is coming to college and not receiving any money, so money that was stipulated for him or her? 
So this is what's also not allowing people to basically come from, you know, you know, being lower class and being raised up to the so-called middle class. There's no such thing as a middle class anymore, but we'll just go with the terminology that's out there. So 281, we have you on the line. May I ask who's calling? Hi, Kim. This is Donald Wright. Hey, Donald. Howdy, howdy. How's hey, everyone? Good. Doing, doing good. I uh, clicked in today to, to listen in, and uh, I've been I've been listening for the past just twenty minutes. Um, so obviously, it's a great conversation. Um, yes, something that, uh, in, in terms of expanding our communication, uh, you all are right on on target with what uh, what should be attempted anyway. Uh, in the conversation about talking to churches, uh, I just want to chime in a little bit. Um, the idea is uh, trying to determine a uh, common ground or common uh, topics to communicate about um, takes on a whole challenge uh, because when you're trying to address issues, in particularly in the black community, um, it, it's important for us to understand what is contributing to those issues uh, because uh, identifying solutions um, are very difficult when you can't really identify sources. Right. And right. Uh, that's part of what uh, takes on what, what takes on a, a higher message in our society, particularly living here in the United States, uh, oh. because so much of what we deal with um, it's centered around four basic issues that most of us are not willing to deal with. Some of us will talk about some of them, but most of us are not going to deal with all four. And, and those four items I consider to be major problems are capitalism, exceptionalism, mm-hmm. racism, and religion. Oh, my goodness. Right. Is Donald preaching today? So who's willing to talk so, so, so who's willing to talk about all four of those things and and and, and break it down to uh to the, the the minimum, break it down to the, the the least among us, so that every person in this country understands the core of how this country functions. So who's going to do that? Now, and I I contend there's very few people that's willing to do that. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about dealing with the churches. Many of these preachers don't want to deal with that because they, they, their status is in jeopardy because right. most, of them know, most of them know they're lying and most of them yeah. know what they're about. And so right. who's going to face truth? And that's the biggest problem. Who wants yeah. to face truth? And I've tried, exactly. and they don't. I've tried. Exactly. So I think that's where we come in, and, you know, we, it's like this. You know, whether they want to face the truth or not, we can put the truth in their face. And, I mean, they can turn their back and walk away. They don't have to listen. But somebody is listening. And all it takes is for you to have one or two people listening, and they're going to go back and talk. You know how these whisper campaigns go on in the community here. And, you know, it's going to cause people to start questioning things, even if they don't necessarily. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What happens, though, is that when you're trying to forge this communication or dialogue with the church, then that the, 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 the spook at the door is the pastor. Right. So how are you going to get through that particular 
uh, how are you going to get through that person? Okay, so that becomes the most challenging aspect of, of developing this dialogue. And so right. what we have, to, I think what we have to do is, is extend the invitation, and, and, and hopefully some of these individuals will see the benefit and, and take on this, 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 the message that they are accountable to their members. That's and right. Trying to identify what's best for them, and that there are people that wants to help the entire community. It it would be right. uh, um, it would be uh, the most important thing for us to try to work with those that says yes, we do want the community to be helped. Right. But exactly. I contend at this point it, it's going to be very few. Right. <laughs> right, because we're threatening their way of life, you know, we're threatening their comfort, we're threatening their power and privilege. And, you know, you know, especially that power and privilege, no one wants to cede power, and they surely don't want to cede privilege. And you're right, it's only going to be very few that are going to want to work with us. But, you know, again, when it comes to people that are in need, you know, if we're out there and we're helping the people in need and basically, you know, if they're utilizing critical thinking, mm-hmm. they're going to want why their pastor or their church leadership, why aren't they out here helping? And they're going to start questioning, you know, those leaders in particular. So, you know, but again, we're out here to help the community and the people that are willing to work with us, we're willing to work with them. And, you know, it's about the people. It's about the community. And that's why I say, you know, we have to put the egos and the personalities to the side because it it really doesn't matter when you're talking about the greater good of all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, we have an obligation so, to try, even if exactly. there are few. Right, We have an obligation right. to try. Yeah, I think the idea of demonstrating um, – True, true comp- uh, compassion and caring uh, for other people, and demonstrating that with, without this uh, need to be a faith-based organization or have this God hanging over our head, um, is going to uh, take on a whole different meaning for the community. And, and that's that's one of the challenges that I've I've had in the secular community is that I, I don't see enough of that. And and so right. the, the secular community has to be challenged within this the, the concept of uh, of walking a walk where you are demonstrating the goodness of your message, but you are demonstrating it with any and everybody, so people can really see that it does make a difference. But I think one of the things that's a challenge to a secular community is this aspect of that the secular community is filled with a lot of um, people that buy into um the 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 issues that affect this entire country and um I think one of the things that's that's pretty interesting is is when you compare um the secular community with how many supports uh the concept of libertarianism and tea partyism you know those type of things so I, I think those are the things that I, has been a real shock for me particularly here in Houston uh that yeah. I've met too many that support those uh political concepts anyway. Yes, absolutely. That was probably one of the single most disappointing things, I think, as a black atheist. One of the things that that turned me off very early on was coming into contact with 
so many libertarians. And um, I'm not, I, I don't know, if there are compassionate libertarians, please make yourselves known because <laughs> I have not met any of you. Like, I just, I would like to meet you, shake your hands, have have a cup of coffee and kind of understand where you come from and how I can meet more of you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But generally speaking, the libertarians that I've come across are, um, are, are you know, they they are severely lacking in, in compassion and generally lacking in, in social graces, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, if that's your thing, that's your thing, whatever. I'm not working with you any more than I'm working with, you know, the prosperity gospel ministers. I, y'all, right. can, y'all can have it. Like, right. y'all can have them. That's not for me. That's not my scene. Right. So, and that's primarily why I think um, one of the reasons why I've never attended any of these major conferences. Um, I'm just not interested in being amongst that crowd, the crowd that says, you know, everyone for themselves. And, you know, we have quite a few anarchists in this community, too. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm like, I'm sorry, as a black person, I am not very fond of the idea of anarchy. Um, particularly, right. <laughs> particularly when uh, I'm not I'm not necessarily fond of government, you know, being you know uh, an iron fist, you know, and having this long arm of the law supposedly controlling everything. But I'm not really open to this whole laissez-faire, you know, justice situation either. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really work well for people who look like me. So I need to find the compassionate you know, libertarians or whatever, if you're out there, make yourselves known. Cause, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> ring, ring, the, ring the bell if you're out there, right? Ring the okay. bell. Ring the alarm, okay? Put the fire alarm. Do something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. And so, again, you know, we open the doors. We open the conversation for those of you that, you know, want to work with us. You know, people of color beyond faith, you know, the new, um, you know, institution, a new project. And basically, you know, we're trying to go out into the community and galvanize conversation, you know, as well as facilitate solutions. And so, you know, again, the email address is peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. And, you know, we're looking for you. We want to talk to you. We want to work with you. We want to help the people in the community. And we want to facilitate solutions. So, I mean, there are one or two of you out there and, you know, two or three of us here. And, you know, we can make something happen. You know, it only takes a, a few of us to make something happen. And you know the snowball effect. The snowball effect is bound to catch on. Trust and believe hmm. that. You know, it's bound to catch on. So, again, next Sunday, December 15th, Donald Wright will be moderating, you know, our conversation, and it promises to be a really, really good conversation. We're excited about it. And yes, I'm going to do a show. Yes, we are. And I'm going to do a show afterwards, so we're going to have our little after party, you know, <laughs> continuing with the conversation. <laughs> so, you know, again, we're looking forward to it. You know, next Sunday, our live YouTube webcast, 11 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. So, Donald Wright, we're going to let you have the last word. 
<laughs> well, it's going to be exciting. Uh, it, I think one of the things that happens is a lot. Of, uh, most of us are kind of locked in our own. Uh, I don't want to say little world, but we all kind of locked in our own uh, uh, way of trying to manage things. And um, I think the most important thing that we can try to do is try to encourage people to know, uh, to let them know that there are people out here that want to first listen to them and want to be, uh, want to assist them in in moving through um, the the challenges and tribulations of this life. Um, and we know how damaging religion has been, and moving into this free thought arena. Uh, is is difficult, and uh, so uh, being able to give people some type of encouragement, some knowledge, and some uh, support in terms of how to do that, I think is very critical. Um, so I, I hope a lot of people join in uh, next Sunday because uh, it's a very important conversation. Um, one of the things about that that's always so intriguing to me is to think about, I know an individual here in Houston, um, I think he's about, he's 55 years old, uh, something in that area, and he still has fear about telling his parents about his non-belief. Mm-hmm. And that's a, yeah. um, I find that to be so intriguing. Um, so to be able to talk about this, I, I think it's important, because I think the more of us that are out in the community, the the better our community is going to be, and and, and exactly. we have to we have to encourage people to want to tell the story. So, hopefully, Sunday we'll be able to help a few people. Yeah, I and think Donald will. has. Yes, we yeah. will, and we are, and that's why even with you know the AAH campaign, you know, from a couple of years ago, we had more people coming out. We've, you know, encouraged more people. People, you know, have found a way to tell their families. And like you say, it, it can be paralyzing in certain respects. And like with that gentleman, you know, he's 55-ish. And, you know, basically he doesn't want to disappoint his parents. You know, he doesn't want to have to deal with the, what particular fallout may happen. And he's not alone. There's a lot of us out here, a lot of us going through that in one respect or another or have gone through it. And that's why we're bringing these webcasts to you. That's why we're going to do the conference online because, like I said, you know, there are people who cannot come to these conferences or to these meetings for one reason or another, and we understand that. And, you know, people will do what they have to do in their own time. So we're going to bring it to you to encourage you and to let you know how much we care about you and to thank you for your support and your words of encouragement. And we understand your situations, and this is why we're giving back to the community. And you'll be able to view these, you know, webcasts at your own leisure, you know, on your own time, download them or what have you. But, you know, we understand, you know, and we just we love you guys, and we just want you guys to know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that. I'm glad also right. I wasn't born. My I, I didn't have a daddy who was a preacher or something like that. I mean, can you imagine what those children are going through? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's yeah. got to be rough. Right. I used to live across the street from a, from a um a preacher, and you know, I kind of saw a little bit of that as I was growing up. 
Yeah, and I mean, look at people who, you know, like, you know, well, I'm going to tell part of my story, you know, next Sunday. But, you know, if, if that's all you knew, and if you're two, three, four generations deep in a church, and this is all you know, and these people are your friends and your family, and you express your non-belief, you know, there's a chance that you can lose the majority, if not all of them. How do you cope with that? That's why I say it's the difference between coping and functioning. And, you know, you have a lot of people dealing with a number of different issues. And so that's why it's important that we have these conversations. And that's why I'm excited to have Donald Wright moderating, you know, Sunday because, you know, as you all can see, you know, he's, you know, bringing out, you know, the hot topics and, you know, the you know, the triggers there, and we need to discuss these things. And it won't be our last discussion about this. This is more of the introductory course. And as time goes on, it'll get more in-depth and we'll get, you know, more information out there and, you know, hopefully more input from you guys because, you know, it's important. We want you all to talk about it. We want you to be able to vent. You don't have to use your real name. You can, you know, come in as John Doe or what have you, that's fine. We don't have a problem with that. But we do want you to be able to express yourselves. That's important. Well, Kim and Raina, talk to you all next week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. On that, we are out of here. We're going to play the instrumental. You all have a great weekend now. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.